0: We've got six kids now, all under the age of about eight, so uh, uh, Hope Covenant Church continues to grow all throughout the world. So if I can have the uh, house lights up for just a minute, um, I would like to know, those of you here, how many of you were here from the early days, 1986 to 1991? Would you stand? 1986 to 1991. Okay. There's a few. Okay. Now, uh, when were you born? 1986, good, I'll come back, yeah, okay, you're good. So, okay, you guys can be seated. Now, how about the next five years, 1992 to 1996? Oh, you know, I said that earlier, didn't I? Yeah, 1992 to 1996, okay, very good, here's some more. Very good, okay, good, you guys can be seated. And how about from 1996 to 2000? How many more? Okay, some more over here, very good. And how about... Uh, from 2000 to 2005. I should be a goodly group of people. Excellent. Very good. And if you'll be seated. And how about from 2006 until today? Should be the rest of you, if you're not paying attention. Okay, good. Okay, well, good. well congratulations. Uh, we love you all. And uh, it's wonderful. We had about the same mix in the first service. You know, the uh, it was just really neat to see the way the Lord has done that. So, 25 years. How our world has changed. Um uh Josh was born in 1986. Well, let's look at what was happening in 1986. Top Gun is still one of my all-time favorite movies, but you know, Olivia Newton John doesn't look like that anymore. I don't know what happened. Uh none of us do. But uh let me let me tell you what was going on uh, the year that Josh was born, okay? A house costs a little bit under $90,000, the average cost of a home. The average income per year for the average family, $22,000. Average price for a new car, just a little bit over $9,000. A gallon of gasoline, anybody want to guess? Very good, 89 cents. Somebody said 86 cents, 89 cents. And a candy 600 portable computer... $1,599. In fact, 1986 was the year that IBM, uh, put out the first laptop computer at a cost of about two grand. Mike Tyson was the youngest heavyweight champ of all times. An earthquake measuring 7.5 on the Richter scale leveled San Salvador and El Salvador, killing thousands of people. The Space Shuttle Challenger Disintegrated as it was launched, killing all on board. Films that were famous, or that were popular Top Gun, Platoon, Aliens, Music, Billy Joel, Van Halen, Whitney Houston, Madonna. You know, I didn't make that list up. Uh, television shows, a Magnum P.I., Hill, yeah, <laughs> Hill Street Blues, Family Ties, and The Cosby Show those are the top shows of 1986. I mean, think about how things have changed since 1986 in our world. And also how things have changed since 1986 at Hope Covenant Church. As Andy told you, they started those early years uh, meeting in homes and then meeting in, uh, uh, in elementary schools, setting up every year. In about 1994, uh, they moved into their first permanent location at Granada Plaza over uh, at Alma School in Erie in Chandler, right next to Floridino's Pizza. We used to go to Floridino's Pizza almost every Sunday after church. They used to love us, you know, when we were there. But uh, that was in 94, so now for the first time they had a permanent location, a place where you could have a little sanctuary. They had a couple of offices. The nicest room in the building was the nursery. Uh, They were smart enough to know if you don't get the babies to come back, the parents won't come back. So they had all of this going on. But one of the significant things that happened in 1996 was uh, that small group of people um, put their money together, put their hard work together, and they purchased the five acres that we're sitting on today. Now, just imagine. Now, this was before the mall was in. But everybody knew this was a prime piece of property. They knew that they, they already had plans for the freeway to come through here. They had plans for the mall. A prime piece of property. And with the help of the uh, Pacific Southwest Conference, that small group of people poured out sacrificially their money to purchase this piece of property. After that, Randy Claussen left in 1999. And uh, the next year, when Jonathan was the interim pastor, um, Stacy Heinke was the chair of the search committee, and they tried a lot of different pastors, and everybody said no until they got to me because I really needed a job. As you know, I was just coming off of my gambling addiction thing, and I wasn't much uh, on paper, and neither was the church, by the way. And uh, so that was a perfect a perfect marriage, you know, kind of a broken uh, pastor and a broken church. We came together, and God has done some wonderful things uh, through that. And then um, in uh, 2000, towards the end of the year, um, we were starting to grow. And so Gary Boydston was really hot on us uh, building the building on this piece of property, but we were still only about about maybe 75, 80 people. And so as we we're starting to grow, we asked the denomination, what will it take for us to build a building on that property? Because our, our lender was the Evangelical Covenant Church, and so we needed their permission. And um, they came out and they examined our church and this property, and they told us, Steve Dawson said, what you need to do, as soon as you have... Uh, An average attendance of 140, as soon as you have membership of 80, and a capital fund drive over a three-year period of $250,000, then we will loan you the money to build this building. Well, within four months, we had accomplished all three of those goals. We had 140, by then 150 in attendance, we had 80 members, and through the leadership of Bruce Heinkees, who led our capital fund drive, We raised, over a three-year period, $375,000. And that's, on the back of those people, that's what we were able to build this building. And we moved in on October twenty-fourth, two 2002. Now, there's a lot more to that story. If you want to know about it, ask Gary Boyce, and he'll tell you all about it. But God has been faithful to us over the years. And God has made a tremendous impact in our community through the ministry of Hope Covenant Church. Let me give you one example. So a couple months ago, we were having a cluster meeting at our church. Now, a cluster meeting is all of the covenant pastors in Phoenix, in Arizona, really, includes Phoenix, Tucson, and we have also grandfathered in, because we have a brand new church in Las Vegas. They're part of our cluster as well. That's Ryan Lunsford. So here we had all these pastors gathered together at our church. It's kind of the midway point between Glendale and Tucson. So we met at our church about 15 covenant pastors. And after we had our, early, our morning session, Wayne Carlson, who was the assistant superintendent of the conference, pulled me aside he said, Dwayne, do you realize what just happened in there? And I said, no, I, I really don't know what you're talking about. He said, as we went around the table sharing what God was doing in our ministries, five of those pastors came through Hope Covenant Church. Five of them. Brad and Cheryl Boydson were part of us for about a year as they were preparing to plant a church in Levine. He was there. Uh, Kent Bertrand, who was our church planner, starting in 2007 at the Bridge Covenant Church, was there. Uh, Brad, excuse me, um, uh, David Hillis, who was the new pastor of Grace Covenant Church in Tucson, was there. And Ryan Lunsford, who was the brand new pastor of the Advanced Covenant Church, was there from Las Vegas. Think about the way that God has extended the ministry of this church, not only in our community but throughout the world. We have missionaries, Alex and Amy Junk. We have people all over the world that have been a part of this ministry, and we want to thank God for that. The most important part of our history, and the clearest part of our history, is that we have always been a church that desired to reach one more for Jesus. You have heard that from me so many times, you're probably tired of hearing it. But this really is who we are, and it's evidence of the kind of people that we've had in our church's history, that always recognize that the purpose and the goal of the church is to reach one more for Jesus. So this week, I was I was preparing uh, for this Sunday. I was asking the Lord to show me one thing that identified who we are and have been as a church for 25 years. Sherry reminded me, and this wasn't very nice of her, that I've been part of this church for 11 years. That's a long time, you know, almost half of the life of this church, but. 11 years I've been here, but what is the one thing that characterizes the ministry of Hope Covenant Church over the last 25 years? And here's what the Lord, I really believe in my prayer what the Lord gave me. The one thing that characterizes Hope Covenant Church is this that we have experienced the gracious and all consuming love of God in our lives. We have experienced, as individuals, this gracious and an abundant love that God has poured out upon us as individuals. And as he has poured out his love upon us, that love has erupted from our souls and touched the lives of many, many people. And that's what I'd like to share with you today. The enormous love of God that he has set upon you, Hope Covenant Church, to make a difference in the world. In the book of Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, uh, the, the, the text says that The word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah. If you look at that in the original language in Hebrew, it means literally the word of the Lord. um, uh, uh, What's the phrase? The word of the Lord um, happened to Jeremiah. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? The word of the Lord happened to Jeremiah. My prayer for each and every one of us in these next few minutes as we look at the word of God is that the word of the Lord would happen to you. Shall we pray? Father, as we now open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, our souls to hear the word that you have given to us. Thank you, Father, for the great privilege that we have to be your church, one expression of the church of Jesus Christ in this world, but yet a church, Father, that has made a tremendous impact upon our community and throughout our world, and we're thankful that you have allowed us to be part of it. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, anytime you think about the love of God, at least I do, I think about First John, the entire book of First John. We did a series on it a few years ago. Uh, and uh, the, the, the text that I would like to leave you with today And to share with you today is from 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 10. Now that text, the the entire text goes all the way to 5-3, but I just want to look at these few verses today. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 10. And when you hear these words, hear them as a word of God to you. Hope Covenant Church. From 1986 to now, the word of God to you. Here's what it says. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What John is saying about this extraordinary concept that we call the love of God. Is that God has literally set his love upon us. In the Old Testament it talks about being the banner over me is love. The psalmist said that. That's really a picture of what John is talking about, that the love of God, like an umbrella or like a tent, has literally been set over you. The love of God for you as individuals and as a church, Hope Covenant Church. He is the initiator. God loves us so that we can love him. He is the wooer. And driven by his own love for you and I, he has pursued us, and was willing to pay an enormous price the life of His own Son, Jesus Christ, to win us, to reconcile us, to redeem us for His own. Now, this glorious message, this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God's amazing love set upon you. Do you have the courage to open your hearts and to step into and to receive and to and to open up to this amazing concept of God's amazing love. Theologian Frederick Buechner said it this way, that kind of love is the furious love of God. Now, this is not the kind of love that you can ignore. Sometimes, you know, when our, we hear our teenagers say, when they're 14, 15 years old, I'm in love. And what they mean is that they're attracted to some boy that we don't want to come to our house anymore cuz we don't like them and 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 we we just we, yeah i'm in love with that well no, this is a different kind of love this isn't a love that says i feel something this isn't a love that says i'm attracted to someone this isn't a love that says I, I think i'd like to hang around you this love that god has set upon us it's extraordinary it's furious it's passionate and it's set upon each and every one of us the furious Love of God. Now, when you experience that love, it's going to change you. It'll change you. It'll change everything about you. First of all, it changes who you are. Now, this is getting very personal here. It changes who you are. It's literally a change of identity. When you experience this kind of love, this isn't a pat on the head or a walk in the park with your your hand holding God's hand. This is kind of a furious, intense, passionate relationship with God. It changes who you are. Listen to Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now, if you read further in Ephesians, you will find that it talks about that when you were far away, you were literally far away of God because you have built a wall around you. It's called a wall of hostility. Each one of us has built this wall that blocks us from God. Now, God doesn't leave us, we leave Him. We've built this block wall, and it's built of bricks, sin by sin, act by act, that we've committed. We can't say it's somebody else's fault, because it's our sin. And that sin is built brick by brick, above us, so we have this wall like in Edgar Allan Poe, right? We're closing ourselves in. God said, I love you so much that I was willing to send my son... And the blood of Christ shed on the cross literally, listen to this, obliterates that brick wall as if it never existed. So even though you have been far away, even though you have blocked yourself off from God, God through His Son Jesus Christ has obliterated that wall and said, Now you are near me. Now I know your name. Now you are no longer far from me. You are no longer unseen. You are no longer unknown. You are my child. And I am your God. Now, if we have the courage to trust and to step into that kind of love relationship that, that Buechner calls the furious love of God, it will change us. It changes who we are. We're no longer far away. We're now near God. But secondly, it also changes how we live. Now, it changes a lot of things how we live because we receive God's purity, His joy, His peace with each other and peace with God. We receive the confidence that our destiny has been settled. That one day when we leave this earth, we will be in eternity. for all. So all of those things, it changes how we live. But let me tell you one thing in particular the text says, it changes how you live. It says that you'll, you'll have no more fear. If there's anything in our world that we need, it's a sense that there's, we don't have to be afraid. Listen to 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. Now, there's no room there for wiggle room. Okay? There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, this is not talking about your love for God. That's that's something that's good. This is talking about God's love for you. And when you fully appreciate, fully understand, fully recognize that that love is settled upon you, fully know that the furious love of God is set upon you, when you know that, it destroys fear. Isn't that beautiful? It destroys fear. There was a phrase uh, that was used, uh, Brennan Manning, a wonderful author, in his best book, I believe, Ragamuffin Gospel, He was doing research for his book down in the South and uh, looking specifically at about 100 years ago. So, you know, down in the South, 100 years ago, there was still a lot of tension, a lot of anger. There was still a lot of um, racism and all of that. And he was doing some research for a book and he wanted to know um, why those Southerners, 100 years ago, didn't use the word born again. Never heard it down in the South, even though it's a very strong biblical phrase, John chapter 3. They never heard the phrase born again. What he found that they used instead of that phrase born again, this phrase. To be seized by the power of a great affection. Do you you want that in your life? I mean, seriously, you better understand what that means. If you say yes, you want it. To be seized by the power of a great affection. Again, this isn't a pat on the head, a walk in the park. This isn't being buddy-buddy with Jesus. This is being seized by by the power of a great affection. That affection, that furious love of God that simply overwhelms you. And when you experience that, guess what? It changes the way you live your life. I was seized by the power of a great affection. It causes you a completely different way to live your life. Now, many of us have grown up you know, especially if you're my age or older, you grew up uh, World War II generation. Your parents were the World War II generation, and there was kind of this idea: children are to be seen and not heard, kind of thing. Today, we it's more like parents are to be seen and not heard. Uh, but anyway, that's a whole other sub- sermon. Uh, but uh, so 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 there was this time that you know kids were just there, and you know you don't. Get, but 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 my father was a very loving man, but he's very strict, very stern. And there were times when I obeyed him. Out of fear. Right? You guys recognize that. And there were times that I obeyed him out of love. And your children ask them if they they know the difference. Okay. And and I remember when I was in high school, um, I had two teachers in my sophomore year of high school. One was my um, English teacher, Mr. TV, and my um, uh, United States history teacher was Mr. White. And I, I loved. I worked very hard in both of their classes. I wanted to excel. I wanted to do my best. In Mr. TB's class, I wanted to excel because he was the, 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 the varsity football coach. And I was told that I've worked hard enough uh, on the field in the class. As a sophomore, I might be able to play varsity that year. And so I worked hard. But I, I worked hard out of fear. Fear of failure. Fear of not making it. Fear of not doing the best. I, I worked hard out of fear. But in Mr. White's class, I worked completely out of a place of love. This guy loved me along with the other students. He loved history. He loved to teach. He was funny. He was engaging. What a difference. You're achieving, trying to achieve both things, but one is out of fear, one is out of love. This kind of love that God has set upon you is not the kind of love that draws fear. But when you understand and acknowledge and really live in this furious love of God, everything changes about how you live your life. You're no longer doing a checklist. Well, I've got to do this, 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 and this because if I don't, God's not going to like me, you know, and God's going to stop me. No, you're no longer living out of fear, but you're living out of this freedom that you are loved so completely, so entirely, so beautifully, so wonderfully that it just allows your life to soar. The furious love of God. No more fear. But there's a third reason why when we experience this love of God, what happens to us? It's this. It changes how you love and why you obey. 1 John 5.3. We read these words. This is love for God. To obey His commands and His commands are not burdensome. If you grew up the way I did, in a very legalistic, uh, fundamental home, we never really understood this message. I always thought that the things I was supposed to do was burdensome. <laughs> because it was a long list of do's and don'ts. Our pastor used to jokingly say, but it wasn't really joking, you know, that we're not supposed to do anything that's fun. Because that must be a sin, you know. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. That was kind of my, that was what I believed, you know, and, and then we all had a list of things. And you'd better do the list because if you don't do the list, God's going to be unhappy with you and boy, oh boy, you don't want that hellfire and brimstone. But this love, it says it's not burdensome. When is it that we have been loved so completely that God's laws, being obedient to Him, does not feel like a burden? It feels like a joy. It feels like a privilege. When I was uh, first courting Sherry, um, I did some re- really weird things. Like I would go to plays and ballet and stuff like that that, ew, you know, I'd never been to in my life. And I would go to tea parties and I would go to Indian food. I would do all this when I first. Now, I don't do Indian food anymore because we've been married for 40 years. She's not going to dump me now. But what do I do for love? Oh, I did all of that for love. I didn't want any part of any of that. But what do you do for, what do you do when you have a child that's sick all night? What do you do? You stay up with that child, you comfort that child, and it's not easy, and it's hard, but what a person does for love. When you understand and you settle into this furious love of God, when you know and understand God's love for you, His commandments are not burdensome. They're a song. God, I want to share my faith with other people. God, I want to read your word. I want to pray. I want to do what's right. It's not a burden. It's a song because you have been overwhelmed by the love of God. For love, you do all kinds of things. My, I remember um, years ago when I was being ordained in 1979, my, my mother was sick and my parents said they couldn't come. But for love, my father and grandfather father drove all through the night from San Diego to Colorado Springs, so they could be there for my uh, ordination. What you do for love. Next week, we're sending a group of people to the Navajo uh, Reservation for a time of ministry with those people. Uh, the the, the, the uh, accommodations, Jim, aren't what you would expect are the best. Uh, there's no uh, plaza hotel uh, you sleep in a tent or in the church on a pew or on the floor. There's no running water. It's really different, but it's what you do for love. When you love a people that need Jesus, it's just what you do for love. That's what we're talking about. When you have fully comprehended God's love for you, there's nothing that he will ask you to do that you can't say. For the love of reaching one more person for Christ, that's exactly exactly what I will do. It's big love. It's passionate love. It's not this idea, well, we'll just kind of be partners and we'll just kind of be go along and we'll be okay. No, it's this overwhelming, passionate love that a, that a, a bride and a groom have for each other. Listen to 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love, lives in God and God in Him. When we know and rely on that kind of love for us, it changes everything. A couple of months ago at our church, uh, uh, we had a baptism service. And normally we go to Jim and Diane's swimming pool because it's heated and all that. We thought we'd try something different. We put a big swimming pool out in the front where you're going to be eating your lunch. And we filled it up with thousands of gallons of water and we had a baptism out there and we had people share their testimonies and teenagers and adults and it was awesome. And every one of those people said something about this enormous love of God that they have felt. This Not condemnation, but this sense that God is love and He's overwhelmed them with His love. That's what you do for love. You say, I'm in. I, sign me up. When you understand what God has done for you, there's not this reluctance. Well, I don't know if I can serve. I don't know if I have enough time. No, sign me up. What can I do to help one person come closer to Christ? What can I do to reach one more for Jesus Christ? Sign me up. What can I do? When you've experienced that love from God, how can you keep it from someone else? It's like the hymn writer Isaac Watts says in this amazing hymn that we love, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands what? My soul, my life, my all. Some of you might be saying, well, I'm not sure I have that kind of relationship with God. I I know there have been times in my life that I haven't either. I remember one time so distinctly that... I was feeling very shameful and guilty because of my gambling addiction, and I was working as a as a courier. I wasn't allowed to work in a church and and I was driving along just doing this ordinary, mundane job, and I was listening to the Christian radio in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and a song came on about the love of Jesus, and I had to pull my car over because I was overwhelmed by the furious love of God. I deserved condemnation. I deserved punishment. I deserve to be scolded, but instead God said, you know, I know your heart's broken over this. Let me show you how much I love you. Do you feel like your life is not worth being loved? Jesus died for your sins. He died for your brokenness. He died for your selfishness. And he wants to set upon you the furious love of God. Now, sometimes we get confused and mixed up about some of the metaphors we read in Scripture about our relationship with God. And I was, I, was, I was going over this and I was thinking, there's kind of like a ladder or a hierarchy of metaphors that describe our love for God. I've shared this with some of you before in a Bible study. And, 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 and here's what it looks like. As you ascend this ladder of grace, you might say, you recognize yourself and how you sometimes have loved God and your relationship with God has been like this. But, but let me describe you what it is. At the bottom, you know, lowest part of the food chain, the relationship of you and God is described as potter and clay. Randy mentioned that in his letter. Now, now there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good imagery. Um, You know, especially those of us that have just a little bit of Calvinist in us, you know, not too much, but a little bit, you know, and and, and Potter and Clay, that God can do anything he wants. God is sovereign. He can do anything he wants. We know that to be true. Um, uh, Clay has no choice or opinion. Did you ever see, except for Gumby, did you ever see Clay stand up and say, you know, I have an opinion? No, no, no. You know, Clay doesn't have any opinion. You just mold it, right? So that's one of those relationships we see kind of at the lower end. And, and, and we've all been there at times. But then you move up the food chain a little bit and you see that he is the shepherd and we are the sheep. Still not very complimentary of us, by the way. Sheep are neither graceful nor intelligent. <laughs> but that's a little bit better. You know, at least we are breathing. But then you move up another step in this stairway of metaphors and you see that Jesus said, I am the master and you are the servant. Now, I, I confess I respond to this one. I grew up in a fundamentalist, legalistic home and uh, it was all about doing the list and being a good boy and doing all this stuff. You know, So I, I kind of respond to this master, servant and some of that still remains in me to where I can be very legalistic at times And and uh, and there's nothing wrong with this metaphor. There's times... All of us need to be in this metaphor where um, I, I know that He is my Savior. And it even says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So there's nothing wrong with this. But, but it's better than being clay, I suppose. It's better than being a dumb animal. I mean, we're a servant. At least we get in the house. <laughs> we don't own the house. We have to clean the house. We have to make the food. We have to make sure the master has everything he wants. And, and don't forget to lock the door on your way out. <laughs> So so it's it's, it's better than the clay or the the dumb animal, that, they still don't belong in the house. But but you move up even another notch on this ladder ladder of metaphors in John's Apostle, and this is beautiful. We go from beyond clay, beyond sheep, beyond servants, where we are His children and He is our Abba. Which brings with it the possibility of an entirely different way to live. Now I belong. Right? Can you feel this? Now I belong. This is my home. I sit at the table with Jesus. Love is not something that a clay and a potter share. Nor does the sheep really know the heart of the shepherd, though he may enjoy the fruits of the shepherd's kindness. And the master may like you and pat you on the head, give you a day off, but really at the end of the day, the only thing the master owes you is pay. But a son... A daughter says, "I matter to God, I have access to the throne, I belong to Him, but even that's not enough. From there we ascend to the, the next metaphor, which Jesus said, "Now I call you my friend." Jesus said to his disciples, friendship levels the playing field. Now I'm taking my place alongside you, unlike the parent-child, in the work of the kingdom of God. But the highest and the deepest and the most exhilarating metaphor that we find in Scripture anywhere for our relationship with God is simply this. We are the bridegroom and Jesus is the bride. Excuse me, we are the bride and Jesus is the groom. What kind of love is that? That's a different kind of love. That is built on passion. That is built on commitment. That is built on, I'll do anything to show you how much I love you. That's what that love demands. Jesus came for us to be with us. When we recognize this kind of love, God says, I want to let you in on a little secret. You have been more than noticed. You have been pursued farther than space and longer than time because God had you in his heart before the foundation of the world and that is why he came for us to be with us and not just as clay with a potter or sheep with a shepherd or servant with a master or even child with a parent or friend with a peer but he has called us to be with him as bride is with the groom and what kind of love is that? He wants a deeply intimate relationship with you. How did He provide for this? When we were far away, behind our bricks of sin, when we were far away, when we were disobedient, when we were deserving of death, He stole away from heaven in the darkness of night. He became a baby, grew to be a man, and it became sin for us. God's own Son died that we might have life. And have it abundantly. What kind of love is this? This is the furious love of God. And God doesn't just want your good stuff, He died for your sins, He died for your brokenness, for your tears, for your joys, for your love, for your hatred. He died for you and said, I will never let you go. Now, when you experience this kind of love, it cannot be contained. It erupts from your soul. It's contagious. People notice. People ask. So many have come to faith in these 25 years of ministry at Hope Covenant Church. So many have noticed this deep and abiding love that we have for Jesus that it simply pours out of us. And people say, What do I need to do to get that? One of the greatest passages in Scripture, many of you know it, is from Luke chapter 15. Jesus talks about three parables, lost sheep, lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son. And Jesus said after each of those, and what he's telling in each of those stories is the same thing, and it's this. People that are lost, people that are far away from me, they really matter to me. They really, really matter to me. What are we going to do? And when Jesus says we, he's talking about you and him, me and him. What are we going to do to reach one more? For Jesus. This enormous love is described in Luke chapter 15, verse 10. When Jesus said these words, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Over these 25 years, how many times have the angels sang? How many times when the love of God, when you have really been set upon by God's love, when you have really experienced the furious love of God in your life and that love is poured out of you, it is spilled out of you and it has infected other people, it has consumed other people, how many times have the angels in heaven sung because of the ministry of Hope Covenant Church? How many times have the angels in heaven rejoiced? I mean, you can almost hear them now. Would you bow your heads with me, please?